This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We want to get into the study where we left off last time. We were in 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, I hope this has been a blessing to you. It is a blessing to me. There's so many things that I notice myself when I, I spend some time focusing on something in its entirety. Uh, there are things that are brought to my attention that uh, probably I would not have noticed at a speed read, uh, and, and I'm glad that we've taken some time to go through this. We're in First Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to read for you tonight um, the entire verse number 1 and then get into verse number 2. So there's so much to see, and and when you go through a expository method of teaching, uh, you have nothing but time in your favor to slow down and look at these verses up close and personal. So let's read verse number one, 1 Peter 1, 1 again. Peter, an apostle, we spent some time talking about that of Jesus Christ, and we talked about the qualifications of apostleship and how there are no living apostles today. To the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and then we're currently in verse number two. There's a comma after Bithynia. It's a continuation of a, of a read, a statement. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And this is particularly where we left off last time in our study talking about the foreknowledge of God. Uh, the foreknowledge or the forethought of God. The Father, and here's where I want to pick up tonight, through sanctification of the Spirit. And so I want us to look at this just for a moment. Our election in Christ is through the Spirit of sanctification by obedience. And I want you to look at this. God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience. And so here's the thought tonight and here's the truth of the matter. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies us. We are justified by faith. The word sanctified means a setting apart. And that's what the Holy Spirit does the moment we're saved. He sets us apart. The Holy Spirit of God sanctifies us. But I will tell you this, we're justified one time. We're sanctified. We should be sanctified every day. Every day we need to be setting ourselves apart from the world. And so the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies us, and that means that when we became born again, he made us holy. The Holy Spirit made us holy in God's sight in our position in Christ before God. We need to be daily sanctified, set apart on a daily basis. Again, I emphasize you can only be justified one time. But sanctification takes place over and over in your life. Now notice this, we have been sanctified unto obedience, but notice the rest of verse number two. And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Sunday, I made reference in my sermon about the young man that I was witnessing to in my office uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the reason for why all of that took place was uh, because of a conversation that uh, was shared where just I just didn't see that he knew what this was all about and what we were talking about. And I wanted to try to help in every way that I possibly could. But one of the things, one of the points of, of uh, difference, I guess you could say, that's a comfortable word, that we had was um, he was adamant about being sprinkled in the mode of baptism. And nothing I could say could change that thought. And typically, uh, people that are of the Church of Christ uh, persuasion are uh, indulged, so to speak, or indoctrinated, that's a better word, uh, to um, believe that that was the mode of baptism, and uh, they also believe that you have to be baptized to go to heaven. In the particular case that I was discussing with this young man about his take on sprinkling, he said, absolutely. He was sprinkled when he was an infant, and, and he was just guaranteed a place in heaven. And this thing was just like going on a hamster's wheel. It wasn't going anywhere. And those of you that know the difference, you know the truth. Um, it's very different. It would be like this, I guess. It would be like a Jehovah's Witness was witnessing to you and trying to persuade you to become a Jehovah's Witness. Now, there's not a Christian in their right mind that would do that. Trying to persuade somebody to move from a point in where they were indoctrinated is a very, very, very difficult thing. That's why the truth sets you free. Scripture says, try the spirits and see if they be of God. And so the point of discussion graduated from Jesus being virgin born to this thing of sprinkling in the mode of baptism. And uh, you, you can take this Bible from cover to cover and search it and you will not find a mode of baptism uh, by sprinkling, especially uh, we don't sprinkle, we don't christen, but you cannot, even if for the moment or for the sake of argument, if you were to go that far with it, there is absolutely nothing that an infant, a child beyond the reason of right and wrong can do to come into the realm of accountability. It's just impossible. And so... There, there are more than, and I pointed this out to the young man, that it's not just Lutheran or Catholics or Episcopalians. Uh, in some circles, Methodists adhere to the doctrine of sprinkling. But, but the truth of the matter is that is not in the Scripture. It's not there. And so when you read and you study and you apply truth with truth, the one illustration that I give you real quickly here is after Philip was witnessing to the Ethiopian eunuch, the first thing that this gentleman asked Philip when he asked him, hey, sir, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand it unless somebody shows me? 
Well, the man was gloriously saved, and he said, now what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, come on, we're, we're near the water. And the Bible says when they went down to the water and when they came up out of the water, sprinkling is not taught in the scriptures. And so this word sprinkling that we get in this scripture tonight, the sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling, I, I certainly pray that no one watching by internet tonight sees this word and associates it with some type of baptism. It's not what the scripture is talking about here. Look at it very carefully. The elect to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, and that's what happens. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God, he sanctifies us. The sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, our election and sanctification has been through the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a reference to when the Lord Jesus sprinkled his blood upon the mercy seat in heaven. And so I want to give you a couple of scriptures for this. So I want us to take time, since this is a study, a Bible study, I want us to go to the book of Hebrews and I want us uh, to look at chapter 9, and I want to read a couple of scriptures for you uh, in order to, I guess, set this cornerstone in place of what we're talking about. In Hebrews chapter 9 and uh, verse number 12, uh, I want to read a couple of scriptures in this chapter and then go to verse or chapter 10 for a moment. So Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, and we're going to read through verse 14. The Bible says this, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, God's own blood. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he shed God's own blood. He, he notice this, he entered into once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats or and of goats and the ashes of an effort sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Purge your own conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And then in verse number 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then in chapter 10 and verse 19, the Bible says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And so this scripture tonight is a picture, is a type of the Old Testament when the high priest on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, he would take the blood of, of the sin offering according to the scriptures, and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat in the tabernacle. And that would make 
the atonement for the people for a period of a year. Now, when we get to 1 Peter, that's, that's the typology of the scripture here, but when we get to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Peter wanted to make it clear, really clear, and he emphasized this, that salvation, sanctification, and election is all dependent upon the blood of Jesus. This has absolutely nothing to do with water baptism. It's all about the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, look how Peter concludes verse number 2, 1 Peter 1 and verse number 2. He says, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Grace and peace are spiritual qualities that every born-again Christian can be partakers of. And let me emphasize that there are different aspects of grace. Grace has different qualities for us. For example, there is saving grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, there's, there's grace that God gives us to be saved. There is a type of living grace. God gives us grace every single day to cope with the various circumstances of life, life in itself. Not only is there saving grace and living grace, but there's dying grace. I, I have never known a born-again believer, and believe me, I have stood at many bedsides where people were leaving this world in Christ and I have never, ever to this day ever stood by the bedside of a dying saint and listened to somebody screaming out in fear. That's never happened. I can tell you that I have stood by the bedside of many people dying who weren't sure and asked me, Pastor, please pray with me. But I can tell you this, when it's, when it's our time to stand in the Jordan, God will give you dying grace. I have said this many times and have given this example. I can remember one time a lady was terrified of dying. Just the thought of dying was absolutely horrific for her. And I told her, I said, you are just fearing for nothing. This fear that you have is not of God. God is not the author. He's not, he's not the one that gives us fear. Fear is not of God. And I reminded her of a scripture that says, Thou will keep him in Isaiah 26, 3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. So here is the thing. God will give you grace when you come to the cross. For by grace are you saved through faith. God will give you grace to live. Whenever you think that you have crossed your last mile, you have you have endured everything that you possibly can and you cannot take another step forward, you'd be surprised when the Holy Ghost breathes enough grace for you to move another step, to move another day, and to sit back and say, thank God for grace. And when it's your time and my time to step inside the chilly Jordan, remember what we said Sunday, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God will give us grace 
to die. So there are different qualities and different aspects of grace. Peter mentions this. He knew very well all about grace. But he also includes this thing of peace. We talked about peace in the Sunday message. God's continual protection for the heart is peace. And I will say this. Peter knew a lot about grace and peace. Grace found him wandering through the streets of Jerusalem, burning with shame in his heart as he denied the Lord. And grace moved the Lord to take away his tears from that episode. Peace, well, peace found Peter when he was locked up in Herod's prison. Do you remember the story in the scripture? When Peter was locked up in jail, he was awaiting his execution. But here's the thing. Peter wasn't shriveled up in a corner, wailing, shaky, and nervous, fighting with fear. And so I ask you, class, listen, why was Peter not afraid in this episode when he was in prison awaiting his execution? The worst thing that Herod could do to him was to kill him. But if Herod would kill him, then Peter knew that he was going to receive the martyr's crown. So you think about this. How do we know that Peter had peace in this prison? In Acts chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me, since we're going slow and we're studying scripture tonight, I want you to see this. How do we know that Peter had unshakable peace? We know he had grace and we know he had peace. And that's why he's writing of this in verse number two. But in Acts chapter 12, verse number six, the Bible says this. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, look at this. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise up quickly and his chains fell off from his hands. So how do we know that Peter had peace? Because he was sleeping like a baby. There's another important observation, I believe, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with this, but if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, I want you to see something very quickly. And this is something that I think Peter was bringing to Task is the way of, this is worthy to be mentioned. But look at verse number two, and I want you to underline three, three words in verse number two. If you are accustomed to writing in your Bible, I want you to underline these three, and then I want you to see the beauty of it all at once. After he talks about these things, these few things that we have mentioned tonight, look at this. Elect according to the foreknowledge, I want you to underline God the Father. Underline that real quickly. God the Father. And then notice this. Through the sanctification of the Spirit. Underline the word Spirit. 
and then unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of then underline Jesus Christ. So what Peter mentions in this scripture, among all the other beautiful things is this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity in that verse? God the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ. That was precious to me when I looked at this. Now, verse number three, Peter begins this verse with praise. I want you to see it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He began to praise the Lord. And I will remind you of this. When our praise goes up, the power will come down. But notice these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his, and for me, it's important to highlight abundant mercy. I want you to look at this because I'm going to share some scriptures with you tonight about the mercy of the Lord. Abundant mercy. Peter didn't just say mercy. He said abundant mercy. Jesus came to give us life and that we would have it more what, class? More abundantly. So I want you to see, hold your finger here, hold your place here with something and go back with me to Psalms 136. This is the beauty of an expository study. We can go verse by verse and see so many wonderful truths in other places, how it relates. In Psalms 136, let's, let's check this out for a minute. Psalms 136, and I want you to go with me to verse number one, and I'm going to read through verse number eight. This is precious. You might want to make a footnote of this in your Bible, 1 Peter 1, 3. But notice this. In Psalms chapter 136, and I want to read verses 1 through 8 for you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy, his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse number eight, the sun to rule by day for his mercy endureth forever. And then look at verse number 26. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endureth forever. So never forget this. When we come to a place where Peter, whenever you find these words, abundant mercy, never forget that God, grace is God giving to us what we do not deserve. But mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. That's the big difference between grace and mercy. Peter talks about the abundant mercy of God. One of the best things about this, when I was reading this, here's the thought. God is not sometimes merciful. 
He is always merciful. Isn't that precious? He's always merciful. In fact, there's a classic verse of scripture that you're probably more familiar with than the ones we just read in Psalms. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, this is, this is an incredible phrase in 1 Peter 1, 3 because there are so many scriptures that we can make footnotes with and relate to and go back and rehearse. But in Hebrews chapter 4, 16, the word says, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so let me say this. This mercy, you got to think about this just for a minute. This mercy that God gives us, it involves God's patience. You know, the scriptures teach us that he is long-suffering. So this mercy, this abundant mercy Peter's talking about, and all of these scriptures that we've just read about mercy, don't ever forget this, that mercy involves God's patience with us. I, I want you to see this. Let's go back to the Psalms for a minute, a different passage. In Psalms 103, I want us to look tonight. In Psalms 103, let's look at verse number 8 and 9. Psalms 103. So you have to, you have to chew on this a while. God's mercy involves his patience. Aren't you glad he's patient with us? Look at this, Psalms 103 and verse number eight and nine. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Remember, we just talked about grace and mercy, but look at this. The Lord is merciful and gracious, and here's where his patience comes in. Slow to anger, plenteous mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He's patient with us. Aren't you glad that God isn't prone to just fly off the handle with you and I? Wow. Amen. Now go back to 1 Peter. and I'm going to just get a little ahead here with this passage, but look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll reference it again when we get to that particular chapter, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 20, the scripture says this, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing, were in few, that is eight souls were saved by water. Now look at this carefully. God waited in the days of Noah. How long did God wait before he gave his wrath? A hundred and twenty years. You say, how do you know? That's how long it took Noah to build the ark. And there's another passage 
And I'm going to give you the reference to this tonight. It's in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. The scripture says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And so God's mercy is at the end of our forgiveness Psalms 103, we were just there in verse 11 and 12. The Bible says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, he removed our transgressions from us. The devil would like to remind us of our past for sure. Other people would like to remind us of our past and our failures. Sometimes we remind ourselves of it. We just cannot surrender it. We cannot let it go. So sometimes we're our worst enemies. But according to God, listen now, when we confess our sins, and I want to, I want to share with you, I'm going to leave off with a thought tonight. I've got about three minutes, and I don't know that I can do this justice, but I want to share this with you tonight. You will, I want you to write this down. If you don't write anything else down tonight, I want you to write these three scriptures down. I have mentioned this and referenced this uh, from time to time in my preaching, but I want to give them to you tonight. God is long-suffering, and he is slow to anger. He's patient with us. And when we confess our sin, and first, the first one is this, 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know that. But what does he do with that? What does he do with that element of our sin? I want you to see this in the book of Micah. And I preached from Micah chapter 5 this past Sunday. But I want you to see something in Micah chapter 7 and verse number 18 and 19. After the long arm of God, after the long suffering of God, after the patience of God, and we get to the place where we, we are willing to do business with him and we confess our sins. Notice what happens here in Micah chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will again, or he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And notice this. Have you ever heard the statement that God will take our sins? He will cast our sins in the depth of the sea. This is the scripture. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Now, the sea of what? Well, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. And I'm going to close with the scripture tonight. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 34. I'm talking about the sea of of forgetfulness. The sea of forgetfulness. You've heard about that? These are the scriptures. The sea of forgetfulness. 
We just read the one in Michael where God will take our iniquities and place them in the depths of the sea. But then notice Jeremiah 31, 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord, look at this, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is God's sea of forgetfulness. He takes our sin when we confess it. He's patient with us. He's long-suffering with us. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And when we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. I want to pick up with that part of the study next time we get into this. But he puts it into the sea of his forgetfulness and never, ever, ever, ever will bring it up again when it's under the blood of Jesus. Can somebody say amen? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.